Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. because we got that and a whole lot more for you here today. It is me, your Winkley host, the managing editor of WrestlingInc.com, Nick Hausman. Joined here as I am nearly every Tuesday by my good friend, the guy I just ride or died with in Daytona <laughs> Beach, Florida for AEW Fighter Fest. It is Michael Weissman. Michael, welcome back to the Winkley. I mean, it was literally a ride or die situation down there in Daytona. Man, that city is a... Can I insult the city now that we're not there anymore? <laughs> you know, you almost got us in trouble. I was really... By, by the way, I was kind of worried Michael was going to get us like in some legit trouble at Daytona Beach because he was speaking so openly about how he felt about the city. So if you'd like... I mean, I, if anybody's listening from Daytona Beach... You know, uh, you know, I, I, I thought some parts of the trip were very nice in your town, but Michael, what, what did you, what, why did you not enjoy Daytona Beach? You're so political. No, no, listen, listen. Okay, I was not the only one talking bad about Daytona Beach. The people that live there, that work there, that play there, twenty four seven, they were also talking bad about their city. Okay, let's just clarify. It does, okay, it does. It, you know, I was reflecting on it a bit. It, it, you, you've seen Back to the Future too. Uh-huh. Okay, you know when Biff takes over and is president in Back to the Future 2? <laughs> yes. It kind of felt like that alternate universe a little bit, right? I mean— Yeah, just a little more redneck. Like, if it was that plus a Confederate flag, you would have Daytona Beach. Okay, well, in Biff's reality, I think there were probably plenty of Confederate flags. I'm just throwing that out there. Biff <laughs> Biff, Biff, Gannon, bad man, bad man. Uh, but, yeah, it was—outside you know, outside of the actual uh, experience of darting to and from our car in the dark of night— um, Dodging bullets, literally. There were no bullets. We didn't get shot at, though. We did have— a waitress from the wing house uh, across the street from the Ocean Center. Uh, we just happened to overhear her talking about how she had to pull her gun out of her glove compartment and keep it in her lap before some gentleman jumped up on her car and she had to speed away. I got that right, correct? That was, I think so. It was kind of a crazy story, hard to follow, but I think that's the gist of it. Was gun, it? getaway, danger. <laughs> yeah, danger. So, uh, and there was, a, we were only there like 18 hours. We had a couple, we had a couple stories. It hasn't since then, you know, also, I'll also say Dallas. Oh shit, it's also in Texas. But uh, I, when I was in Dallas, I think we saw a couple body bags on the highway filled with bodies when I was there a couple years ago for WrestleMania. So it's scary out there, guys. 
You know, you go on the this road. This is a step up. This was a one in 15 chance of getting murdered. So it's a lot, a lot better, I guess. Uh, uh, murder, or it's physical or property crime in Daytona Beach, one in 15 chance. So uh, anyway, we actually looked that up. So uh, anyway, let's move on. I knew- real, real statistics here, real news you can use. I think we should move on. I think we should get to the news. Uh, so uh, I knew you were going to bring it up at the top of the show. I just knew it in my soul. I was like, he's going to want to talk about Daytona Beach. So anyway, we're going to talk about Fighter Fest uh, more on the show here today. Uh, of course, like I said, Michael and I were both in Daytona Beach for Fighter Fest. We were both part of the scrums. Michael was uh, doing all the beautiful camera work and editing work that you saw uh, from the full-length scrum videos and the clips that made it out onto our social media and our YouTube page. Uh, I was, of course, in the pit um, asking questions, uh, trying to get uh, interesting answers from folks. Um, and we will get into some of the, the uh, outcomes of these scrums here later in the show. Uh, but also here, later in the show, what a big day. How did we lead off talking about Daytona Beach when we probably have the biggest guest, if not one of the biggest guests we've ever had here on the Weekly Today? Right after the news today, you are going to hear from WWE Hall of Famer, the 16-time World Heavyweight Champion, the father of Charlotte Flair. It is, of course, the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, right here today. Uh, 45 minutes with this man, a lot to get to. We talk. It's It's not... You know, this isn't one of those time capsule pieces. This isn't me and Rick uh, going into the archives, reliving matches or anything like this. This is me talking to Ric Flair about the current WWE product, talking to him about AEW, talking to him about StarCast. You know, we get into a lot here. I know you guys are going to really love this interview, so uh, stay tuned for that. But like uh, like Michael T's here at the top, let's get to some news you can use, news that will leave a bruise. And uh, the news that has been blowing up Wrestling Inc. for the past several days now Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff, of course, have been promoted to new WWE creative roles with Heyman overseeing SmackDown, Bischoff, uh, or no, Heyman overseeing Raw, Bischoff uh, overseeing SmackDown. Here's a couple news items regarding Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff's new uh, moves here. Wrestling Observer reporting that Fox executives did not know that these two were going to be pointed to these roles. Uh, and, and actually, Fox had been wanting to work with Heyman. They wanted the other guy, it said. Isn't that funny? My that's cr- that's this is pretty pretty recent news, right? Because it seemed like the consensus last week was, of course, Eric Bischoff goes to Fox. He's used to dealing with networks. He's been in boardrooms. Makes a lot of sense, right? So uh, this must be pretty recent uh, update here. Yeah, this was again last five days of news. Uh, this came out here, and um, and on that note, there's a lot of people within WWE now that have worked for Impact, worked for TNA. A lot of their producers, a lot of the talent, uh, and this is a quote here. From the Observer, people who worked with Bischoff and TNA that are working with WWE now were more than baffled, baffled, Michael, by this news. Um, you know, this is something I kind of uh, tried to set the, the stage for last week when we were talking on the show where everyone's like, well, you know, Bischoff brings this experience. He was successful on WCW. You know, he's worked with the executives. I get that. But you also got to understand the other side of the coin with Bischoff. And these people are not ignorant. The people that work there, the people that are executives, they know exactly the kinds of decisions Bischoff has made creatively and behind the scenes. And yeah, there's, you know, enough criticism on that side as well. It's almost like, what? where's the scale here, Michael? What, as far as Bischoff goes, like, is it a, a win or a loss? I'm not really sure. From this news here, it sounds like more people were backstage, at least WWE, were my camp where it was like, I, I, was, I was very surprised by this news. This is a, a situation where it does feel like a corporate decision was made, be it by Vince McMahon, be it by whoever, that said, we want to get the guy who's worked with corporate into the more corporate position, right? It's not about creative at that point. It's about, we think this guy would be better in a boardroom with them. I, I think to your point, though, Paul Heyman 
absolutely has the better track record when it comes to creative, right? The yeah. joke I made when I heard this was, well, Eric Bischoff coming to SmackDown, how soon before we get another faction in there, right? That's the first thing he goes to. NWO, Aces and Eights, Immortal, all of those guys he's used before, right? So it's curious here. I can see why Fox would want Heyman because Heyman has such a great creative track record. Say what you will about, we don't know what his influence there was, but the work he's done with Brock Lesnar and Ronda Rousey over the last two years. But yeah, that's the guy you want if you want something fresh, new, and exciting and kind of edgy. Bischoff, he's done reality TV. He's produced television shows. We're talking about stuff like Billy Ray Cyrus and his daughter, right? We're talking about stuff like Hardcore Pawn Chicago, those Scott Bio shows. Like, uh, it's just weird to me. Um, but that's the direction they went. I, it's it's interesting, um, and, and, you know, I guess more to come on that front. Well, here's more and regarding uh, these two men here. Now, PWInsider.com reporting Paul Heyman's deal was recently inked after a, a long negotiation process. Of course, he's been backstage working creatively with WWE for a while now, but the position he has now, this deal was recently inked. Uh, Bischoff's deal was inked in the last few weeks with WWE taking into consideration his work with Turner Broadcasting, Spike, and other networks like we've been talking about here. Uh, he, uh, they have been attending WWE TV tapings for so. Paul Heyman has been attending WWE TV tapings for some time, including SmackDown. Um, and they mentioned a couple talents he's been working with, Charlotte, Aleister Black. Uh, now back to the Observer here for our last bits of uh, news here with Heyman and Bischoff. Uh, Heyman's influence on Raw did begin last night, but the show is still not completely his. Now, Bischoff's fingerprints, we're probably not going to see that on SmackDown until after Extreme Rules, because I guess I, he's been around less time, got to put it together, whatever. Uh, Paul Heyman, uh, his opinion is that the authority character role is played out. No word on if Bischoff will feel the same way on his program and if he'll be used on TV. We did see Paul on Raw last night, but it was strictly in an advocate role for Lashley, or not Lashley, Lesnar. Um, and Bischoff uh, was featured prominently in materials that went out uh, last, late last week, as was Heyman, for in-ring segments. Of course, the Heyman segment did not manifest. We'll see here with Bischoff. We're told that those were not supposed to go out. So uh, a lot to take in there. Um, where, where would you like to begin with these other updates? Um, you know, it's, it's obviously Heyman's been there. It makes a lot of sense. He's probably already been working with McMahon on some creative stuff. Again, we talked about him working with Ronda, working with Brock Lesnar, kind of being in the advocate role. You know, I also wonder, too, maybe if, if you're going to keep Lesnar on Raw, we don't know what the future is there. It would make a lot of sense to keep Bischoff, I mean, to keep Heyman there with Lesnar on Raw. Uh, unclear at this point. But, yeah, I, you know, I like this. Heyman, again, forward thinking. Authority character role is played out. Very sharp contrast to Bischoff, who always leans into some kind of authority character role with his creative. Um, you know, obviously, Bischoff can take longer to speed up. I also wonder here, Nick, we're talking about Heyman already having his fingerprints put out there. Raw felt a little bit different last night. We'll get into that, obviously. But he's ready. He's a part of the system. He's been a part of the system for years now, right? Came back originally as a manager, worked his way back into creative. All of that's happening. My question is this Bischoff, late game hiring here, kind of dealing together in the waning hours, all of this stuff. How effective is he going to be in the WWE hierarchy these days? And how effective is he going to work with Vince McMahon? And, and you know, we're not going to see it until after Extreme Rules. I, I'm curious and a little bit worried. Well, not just Vince here. I mean, you know, let's go back to the beginning, you know, with the original Observer report here that's all the TNA talent that were baffled with Bischoff's hiring here. I mean, what, what happens when he has to go work with, you know, Shane Helms, Abyss, Jeremy Borash, you know, AJ Styles, all the other guys he worked with at TNA, 
that that have worked with him and you know may yeah. not have had the best experience. You know, Heyman very well liked by all accounts backstage. You know, he's, he's been credited with a lot of the better decisions that have made by WWE in recent uh, in the recent months. I'd say years, but you know, I don't exactly know how far back his creative influence goes at this point. Um, I, this is this is going to be a very interesting. It'll be a te- it'll be a test for Eric Hunter. I I know for a fact this is going to be a huge test for Eric to be able to integrate himself into the system, handle this many people, and be a team player, which is really yeah. not uh, necessarily always his mo. Um, and uh, on the other side here, you know, I, I looked at that here where they said Heyman thinks the authority role character is played out, doesn't think Raw may need it. I think I agree with that. Eric, man, you know, look at the decisions and the and the things that he pushed in WCW. One of those decisions was to make himself a central authority character role. He felt that worked. I know for a fact he thought that he was maybe better as an in-ring character than as a creative talent backstage. He really came into his own in WWE. You know, again, it's like I spent a lot of time talking with Eric, obviously, on our old podcast. And, like, you know, I know that he sees himself as somebody that's developed into a very strong on-screen character. So I don't think that he's going to be able to to keep his uh, his his hands off of that idea. I, I would I would fully expect to see Bischoff in some form get integrated into the SmackDown landscape. Well, you talk about what is the best indicator of future performance, and that is always past performance. I know this the buck has been passed around, the blame has been tossed here to there and everywhere, but keep in mind, Eric Bischoff is the guy that everybody cites that he had his favorites in WCW, he had the guys he worked with, he had the guys he didn't work with. He had the guys he didn't pay any attention to that he hired with big money contracts strictly to steal them away from WWF. So all of those things, again, make me worried about his ability to integrate into this roster and work with a diverse group of people and manage a roster the way you need to here in 2019 and keep them happy. And, um, you know, again, Heyman, authority character figure, overplayed. Bischoff loves the authority character. Maybe we get a different smack than a different raw. And maybe it works beautifully. We finally have two brands that both feel different and organic. Um, all yet to be seen. Well, I guess. well, but the other, you know, the thing is it would be nice to talk like you're going to have these two different brands. They're going to feel organic, but now we have, of course the wild card rule, right? Ugh. And with, Ugh. and with the wild card rule, you got to have some communication between the two brands, right? I mean, you can you're going to have stuff that's spilling over from one show to the other. And people need to know about that stuff. It's not like you're operating in two separate bubbles with two separate rosters doing your own thing. And I thought it was very interesting watching Raw last night. Uh, it started off with, I guess, what you would call maybe a stereotypical Paul Heyman thing. Hardcore, right? Big spot. Lots of brawling. You know, I don't know that everyone would inherently, if you really know Paul's work, say that's his style. But it was certainly something, you know, a hardcore. Show ends with a, a, a stable, right? Ends with a reformation of the club, which is more of like in something in Bischoff's camp. So I, I don't know if uh, I don't know what Eric's influences are already. Of course, you said he's probably going to have some kind of stable or faction. I did think it was very interesting that the end of Raw ended with the reformation of a stable or faction, and of course that stable or faction, thanks to the wild card rule, could be a part of Bischoff's SmackDown. Yeah. And so here's what I will say: the all of this news, right? So the, you mentioned the faction segment coming out of this. What Heyman did last night on Raw, we we heard that his fingerprints already being felt throughout the show. What he did was basically kind of take Vince McMahon's vision and crystallize it and, and tweak it and do something different with it. Because the reformation of the club last night was not entirely unexpected if you've been following AJ Styles and everybody over the last few weeks or month or whatever else. It's been teased for a while. So, of course, it happened last night. It makes sense, right? Bischoff historically has kind of done the out-of-left-field maneuvers where you're like, wait, well, this is an unexpected, the shock value, right? So – I don't know what will happen with all of that. What I will say 
the positive here, WWE releasing this news last week unexpectedly generated a lot of buzz heading into another big AEW show with Fighter Fest this weekend. Uh, we're, we're talking about it to lead the run sheet, even though we were just at Fighter Fest three days ago. It's going to create more news because Bischoff's taking over creative after Extreme Rules in the middle of July, and it's definitely going to generate more headlines as they head into their Fox show starting in October. So all of this to be said, it's putting them up to be stealing some headlines from Cody Rhodes, from the Young Butts, from Tony Khan going into uh, this late summer and early fall season. And, and that's a pretty smart business decision if yeah. you are Vince McMahon in WWE. No, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it's like I look at my run sheet, you know, the A block today, this today, it's, it's going to be WWE here for a bit. We're going to have some AEW stuff here uh, in the B block. And that's usually how I look at it. You know, a, it, sometimes AEW is in the, the A block, sometimes Impact and ROH yeah. even work their way up or New Japan. Um, but yeah, today, WWE, and you're right, just just a couple days after Fighter Fest. I hadn't even really thought about that because um, there is some big news coming out of Fighter Fest. Well, uh, back to Raw here at WrestleVotes, um, the uh, anonymous uh, wrestling insider, uh, noting that the reason for the Braun and Lashley stage spot that started off Raw was because WWE may be looking to have a new stage built, uh, could be debuting here very soon, since, of course, this one just got destroyed. Uh, the Observer also reporting that uh, Braun Strowman is working through some kind of unknown injury. That's why he's been doing these arm wrestling and tug-of-war spots recently on TV. Uh, WWE is saying in storyline that Strowman may have ruptured his spleen. Lashley is resting comfortably at a medical facility. Uh, and, of course, uh, just after this spot happened, we now have the infamous soundbite of Corey Graves on a TV PG show screaming, Holy shit! <laughs> right? So... Yeah. Uh, I know, uh, because I look at your Twitter feed, Michael, that mm -hmm. you uh, apparently did not enjoy the spot <laughs> as much as everyone else. Tell me tell me the other side of the coin here. I'm interested. Let's let's have a little discussion. I quickly found myself in the minority last night on Twitter, which is perfectly okay, right? Yeah. The wrestling, this is what I said on Twitter last night. Wrestling is not just for me. It's for everybody. And if I don't see something the same way you do or the rest of Twitter does, that's fine. Sure. That's part of the game. This spot, this Braun, Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley feud has been going on for weeks. It's been kind of, a, it feels like a very lumbering feud if I imagine it as an as an adjective, just lumbering or a verb, right? And, and so these two big guys, it's like Godzilla and Mothra just beating each other over the head. I thought this hardcore match, this false kind of anywhere match, I like to call them, wasn't very effective, right? Of course, it's exciting because it's false kind of anywhere, but it's literally days after Fighter Fest. And I don't want to make the comparison. But I have to, right? Because I literally just watched one wrestling show. I'm now watching another one, both with similar stipulations. And what uh, Joey Janela and John Moxley did to headline Fighter Fest felt like a very brutal match. And it didn't even it need blood. We don't need blood in WWE. There was very little blood. But that match involved hardcore spots going through tables, barbed wire, say what you will about barbed wire. It just felt raw and animalistic and tough. And I thought these two guys just kept clobbering each other over the head using clotheslines and punches and all that. And it just didn't resonate with me. Yes, they did the spot on the ramp where they suplexed. None of that was resonating with me. It did not feel as impactful other than seeing two big guys clobber each other. Well, and then I thought – go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. Yeah. yeah. I just And I thought the spot through the stage, right? I thought the spot through the stage. Yeah, they, they've done this kind of thing before. Somebody gets speared through the stage. And then all of the fireworks they use and the camera shaking the way it did so much. And I love the footage we saw afterwards of the cameraman kind of being all crazy, right? But the camera shaking so much, 
it just felt a little bit corny to me, Nick. That's that was my initial reaction. That hey, you know, and for me though, look, I I watched this, and again, it's like first of all, I was happy that there wasn't a talking segment starting the show, right? Now, Braun and Lash, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, okay, Braun and Lash. So first thing right out of there, poof, right there you go. Some some big different uh, hardcore. Oh, anything can happen type type feel. Braun and Lashley are not Janela and Moxley. Janela and Moxley are deathmatch guys. They're also a lot smaller than these two men. Um, they're they're capable of different things, and I don't know that I would go so far as to call it a, a deathmatch what Moxley and Janela did um, because I, there, you're right, there wasn't massive amounts of blood, but there were a lot of deathmatch spots within that match. Braun and Lashley here, man, look, these were two big guys. You're right, clubbering you know, their way up to the top of the rant. This was all – that match itself was the premise because the match itself probably only lasted, what, four minutes? After yeah. after entrances, the clubbering to get to the top of the stage, and then the stage spot, right? So the match itself was really just a premise to get to the top of the stage so you, you could see this spot. Um, we don't really see pyro anymore in WWE. We don't, we don't see those kind of unexpected type things. It, was it a little over the top? Sure. But, I mean, again, it's like you're walking the line here. You want to appeal to hardcore fans. You also want to appeal to kids. Kids don't know, right? Kids, sure. are, kids are dumb. Kids are drunk. <laughs> kids are drunk little adults, right? And so... They see this, they're thinking everything's exploding. I get why they did that. I get this. But for the, the shake-up camera spot that you didn't like, and I saw that as well, you also got like a five-minute long single camera steady shot on the backstage area that they cut. They did on the way out, cut back to it after the commercial. For me, that paid off, the camera stuff, because how long has it been since we saw a single camera steady shot for that long period of time on WWE? It, it, it felt it immediately took me out of the usual WWE mold, and I was like, "This feels different. I don't know what's happening right now, which is good, and I want to see where this is going to go." And, and you know what? You talk about the small details here, the steady camera shot you mentioned earlier, the holy shit moment with Corey Graves, and, and a few other things. I do think those little flourishes helped, right? And again, we, we see the announce team every week build up things and say, oh, this is the biggest thing to ever happen in the history of world wrestling entertainment, right? And and it play, it's played out. Everything is the biggest thing ever. The holy shit is something different. The camera angle is something different. I think I would almost say you could imply those are maybe Paul Heyman tweaks because Paul Heyman, for all the big vision, big picture stuff Vince McMahon is – Paul Heyman is a detailed guy. He knows the small things that make the cogs work. And, and so – I feel like those two flourishes, I would assume, maybe influenced by Paul Heyman or somebody else in the back, that did add an element of something different. And I can totally see, uh, yeah, I, I want more of that. I think, you know, my criticisms about the big spot at the beginning being what they were, I'm glad it was something different. I'm glad we did start off raw literally with the bang. And I think it did set up the expectation that the show was going to be a little bit different. I just would not go so far to say that last night's show felt radically, you know, some people came online, man, and Paul Heyman era is here. It's the greatest thing ever. I did not walk away from that segment of that show feeling like this is Paul Heyman's Raw. I felt like this is Vince McMahon's Raw crystallized through a Paul Heyman viewpoint. I felt like Paul Heyman had control for like the first 45 minutes and Vince McMahon <laughs> sure. like wrestled the, the book back from him, maybe <laughs> even physically backstage. Because like, you're right, it was like the, the Corey Graves line, you know, all these other things. We also got this quick shot of the Street Profits backstage at the top of Raw and everyone was like, oh, it was a mistake or whatever. No, I mean, look. This is, this is the kind of stuff that used to happen all the time at WWE, WCW, when they were doing all these backstage segments, you know, a quick quote away. Was I supposed to have seen what I just saw? I don't know. Yep. But now everybody's talking about how the Street Profits are at Raw, and we did get the payoff there. They, they came onto the show. They cut some promos. Um, and uh, after they made their first promo debut, there was a little snafu over on social media 
uh, WWE posted a photo of them uh, on Instagram, I believe, with the caption, the hashtag NXT Tag Team Champions AEW here on Raw. Uh, of course, this was deleted and then fixed to say the hashtag NXT Tag Team Champions are here on Raw, but whoever was running that WWE social account probably doing this off their phone, and they're probably typing the word AEW more into their conversations than the word R. Take that for what you will. I mean, I'm no, I'm no computer scientist here. I'm no uh, Google whatever genius, so I don't know how those algorithms work to pick up what those words are. And then, then you got to think, you know, well, if the cutaway to the street profits was planned, which I kind of think maybe it was, like, oh, did you see that, right? Unexpected. Does WWE go as far as to say, and I don't want to sound too conspiracy theorist here, but do they go so far as to have a typo like the AEW thing? I mean, think about it. If you're making this segment and you're like, we're going to follow it up with the social media post, and you're, no, you know you're going to do this tease, why would you not also just name drop AEW and get a little more buzz off of the AEW weekend? Good question. Now, you know, just a, just a theory, but yeah, it's it's interesting. All these little mistakes, I love them because I like to think that they are a part of the show and that Paul Heyman, whoever it is, is using this to work the crowd a little bit, kind of like a yeah, like a throwback to the old days. Uh, well, we got an update here uh, from the Observer about the move to Fox. Fox is going to be testing out two new cameras for the debut on Fox. Fox is also looking to invite a lot of celebrities to give the show the feel of a major event which is the reason it's being held in L.A., the first episode. Uh, it was noted that the idea is to make WWE look, WWE look as major league as possible, which in turn would make AEW look minor league from the start. Uh, you know, uh, is, is this, uh, does this matter? I don't know. I don't know. I think the camera, the camera thing intrigues me, right? So uh, the, to say what you will with the celebrities coming out, if this starts feeling like a damn Oscars broadcast or, look, we got so-and-so from the sports world here, and they do like all of that jazz red carpet, I'm not interested in that, right? I want my Fox show to feel more like a sporting event. And maybe if it is like, look, so-and-so's ringside, that could be, and, you know, we see this all the time in UFC. That works for them. I could see that working. I like the idea that they're going to do something different with the camera work, though. And they tweak their formula time and time again. They've done weird things with replays and made it, you know, sped it up to make it look more like a live action event or whatever. But I hope they do something like what we see a lot of times in other organizations, especially Ring of Honor or Ring of Honor, but also New Japan Pro Wrestling, where they follow the action more instead of everybody playing the camera so much. They let the cameras follow the wrestlers and the action in the ring. Right. And and I think. When you watch a New Japan show, it feels different for that reason. And if you're going to really separate these brands, a different kind of camera work, less of this, let's do these shaky cams. And, oh, every time somebody gets hit, we're zooming in and zooming out. Get rid of all that and just let the camera follow the action, make it feel more organic. I'm down with that. Yeah, uh, I don't really have too much to take on this. I mean, if they get The Rock there, I guess that'd be cool. Um, <laughs> I, I, don't, I mean, I just I don't think that celebrity power is what you use to counter AEW. I think it's apples and oranges. It's not what the, the fans of one are looking for sure. at the other. So if you're trying to make AEW look minor league, there's maybe better ways to go about it than bringing in, you know, um, Ryan Seacrest or whoever. This also feels like a WCW kind of move, right? Look, our guys are showing up with the Tonight Show. Of course, we're a bigger deal than WWF. Uh, well, what WWE's product is doing right now, there's an update here to the uh, Extreme Rules pay-per-view next Sunday. Then uh, the winner-take-all main event. Uh, that match is also going to be a no, disqual no disqualification match. Of course, that'll see uh, Baron and Lacey taking on Seth and Becky with all the titles on the line. Now, last night on Raw, uh, Becky made uh, Mike Kanellis, the husband of Maria Kanellis, the former Mike Bennett, is making his Raw debut. He tapped out to Becky after Maria had removed herself from the match, 
uh, question mark, because I don't really know if that's what happened, but she claimed to be pregnant. She then belittled Mike, uh, and then there was some more backstage uh, uh, shenanigans with her talking about her pregnancy. She also made a, a comment earlier in the night about how she had pushed a, an eight-pound baby out of her uterus, which made her tougher than, than Becky, and she also called her husband uh, right before this uh, segment here, uh, her bitch. So, I, I, again, it's like you didn't like the top of the show spot with the brawn and Lashley stuff, and, that, and that's your thing. I know that this isn't for everybody, but uh, this is soap opera stuff. I, I don't know exactly where it's going, but I know there's a lot of emotion there, a lot of questions. I didn't hate this at all. You're using Mike and Maria Kanellis, and you're using them in a way that kind of makes sense. And while Mike did look weak as a result, it didn't make them as a duo look uninteresting, right? There's something cur- – I want to see more of this. What's, where's this going, right? Yeah. It, it, it worked for me. Yeah. This hooked me. I'm not saying I love the idea of using a cuck-style storyline here and all that jazz, whatever. But it did hook me, and it piqued my interest, and it's something different. And that's effective television right there. So, um, And also, again, you put Mike Kanellis in the ring. And Maria with, well, not in the ring, but in the same segment with your world champions for the men's and women's divisions. And those guys look, they look bigger than they've looked in their entire run as a result of this one segment. Yeah. And also here, I thought it was interesting. Becky made Mike Kanellis tap after Maria had quote unquote removed herself. Is that, is that kind of how you would guess they would explain the finish to this match? Yeah, I guess so. Okay, cool. Because I would think Becky would still have to tag in Seth and he would have to finish the match against Mike. Right, if they were playing by the standard mixed uh, tag match rules, right? Right, right. Okay. They didn't do that. Now, are we setting up some kind of a situation here in a no disqualification match at Extreme Rules where either, you know, Lacey pins Seth uh, or Baron uh, somehow uh, pins Becky? I mean, is, is that real? I mean, all the Maria stuff aside, was that little bit there at the end, was that to set a premise? That a man or a woman can beat a man or a woman in one of these type matches? Huh. Huh. Hadn't thought about that, but it absolutely could be. Yeah. I mean, that's what that's that leaped out way more than me than the Maria stuff, because you look at how do you convincingly get these titles on Baron and Lacey um, at at Extreme Rules? Maybe so Seth and Becky can take them back at SummerSlam, whatever. Um, I, I, I mean, how do you get more heat on Baron Corbin than having him pin Becky Lynch and taking Seth Rollins title? Yeah, and especially when it's not expected because, to your point, these rules haven't been played by like this in a long time. So, uh, yeah, interesting take. Or an extreme rules match, not a no-DQ no match, I guess. And in an extreme <laughs> rules match where there's no rules isn't really a mixed tag, right? Or I mean, I would guess you're going to see the men and women going at each other. And, I, and again, I think the, the premise is there now that one of these could tag the other, the other gender or the other. So, We used to call these tw- tag team tornado matches back in the day when there weren't actually tags. But. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. true. Texas tornado matches. Texas uh, tornado in uh, in Texas. Corey Graves, uh, another Corey Graves, a uh, little slip of the tongue, uh, maybe or most likely on purpose here, probably absolutely on purpose. Mentioned on Raw commentary that he's heard that Samoa Joe versus Kofi Kingston Extreme Rules could become a ladder match. You know, since we got to make these matches here extreme and all that. I, I I don't hate that. Samoa Joe and Kofi, they'll they'll probably kill it in a ladder match. Yeah, this will be fun. I wish there was a match between them before this. I, I think this is going to be a good feud and has places to go. But no, these guys will these guys will do well. They, they have great chemistry there, I'm sure. <clears throat> um, and uh, the Observer reporting that Brock Lesnar's contract is going to expire in May or June of 2020 with WWE. So we'll have him to release Mania last year, next year. Uh, but that's just an update. Of course, with Paul having more power, it sounds like a WWE uh, could could mean even a longer tenure. I would think for the Beast. 
Yeah. Um, uh, Sports Illustrated reporting The Undertaker gave WWE a short list of who he wants to work with after he re-signed. One of the names on that list, Drew McIntyre, was on the list. Uh, McIntyre is going to tag with Shane to take on Roman and Taker at Extreme Rules. Um, the Observer reporting Taker's return was planned before Super Showdown. So if Taker's really wanted to work with Drew here, I, I don't think there I think there's a inside chance here. We see McIntyre pin the dead man at Extreme Rules. You save something for SummerSlam, right? These yeah. two would be a great matchup for SummerSlam, and it would still there'd be enough fluke involved. McIntyre might lose, but there'd be enough fluke involved here to build that feud up. I love it, and McIntyre's getting a spotlight finally. Thank goodness. Uh, Sheamus uh, is advertised to appear at the Lackland Air Force Base in Texas tonight. He's back on the road with WWE. It would seem a uh, pro wrestling sheet recently talked to Batista, who said about Sheamus, he's ready to go. He wants it. He's so hungry. He's in great shape. They're just not sure what they want to do with him creatively. So it's a frustrating place to be. That's not surprising, I guess. Can't you just go back to him and Cesaro and have them break up? They had such a great series before they were a team. How do you get stuck with a guy like Sheamus and not know what to do with him? Good question. And I think Sheamus is like, I think Sheamus is more liked now than like a decade ago when people were crapping on him for, for a lot of different reasons. I think people did largely enjoy the club. I think there is a way to get, I mean, what would you do with Sheamus? Like what's the inventive creative way you would work him back into the mix? I, I think you bring him back and he, they do a tag match and Cesaro turns on it because I think to me in this case, Sheamus has always been a great heel, right? But Cesaro, I, I don't know. I don't maybe Cesaro plays the bad guy, but Cesaro turns on him. I've been doing this since you've been gone and they turn him on in a match and you have them kind of finish up their tag team run with wow. the great feud between the two of them. I believe their best of seven ended with them in some kind of double finish where they became a tag team. So I don't, they were doing that best of seven. I don't think they ever had the, the rubber match to even really blow off that best of seven, even before the tag teams. They didn't. It was Mick Foley's great idea to pair them up so they'd stop beating each other up. And so now let's go back to that. Long-term storytelling, folks. To bring Mick back into the mix, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's an that's not a bad idea. I think with Cesaro, though, I, we were talking last week, I think he's the guy who knocked on Aleister Black's door allegedly so we could, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I guess that's one of the, the rumors out there. If he is not the one to answer Black, and I guess we would find out tonight, um, yeah, I would I would think that Sheamus would be – I think that's a great idea. I think it's a wonderful way to work him back in the mix. Um, the Kabuki Warriors uh, defeated the Iconics at the WWE Tokyo event over the weekend to earn a WWE Women's Tag Team title shot. Now, Paige, their manager, commented on the frustrations with the Kabuki Warriors booking recently, which is, of course – uh, Asko and uh, Kari, Kari Sane. Kari Sane? I always pronounce it wrong. Kari uh, Sane, yeah. Kari Sane. Uh, yeah. Kyrie Sane. Kyrie yeah. Sane. Kyrie Sane. It frustrates me, but once you actually get to speak with Vince and Hunter about your problems and frustrations, they're always the first to say, let's change this. If you go up to writers, it's like talking to a brick wall sometimes, where if you go to Vince and Hunter, they're like, if you have a problem, we can change that for you. The Kabuki Warriors can be a force to be reckoned with, and that was the plan from the beginning. After the match in Tokyo, hopefully we'll get to build towards a pay-per-view, which gives the girls something to look forward to. So I'm happy we have a boss that really listens to us. Um, man, must uh, really be frustrating, I think, to be anyone below Hunter and Vince that the talent just thinks that they could just go over their head to get what they want. <laughs> I think it's curious. She says talking to the writers is like talking to a brick wall. Sometimes again, yeah. it speaks to the hierarchy problems they have that no power. John... They have yeah. no power. Okay. Sorry. You do what you do. I mean, you write your script. We can't do anything without Vince McMahon's changes. It's a typical corporate environment. I've been saying this for years. People are so critical of the creative team and the writers, but it's not entirely their fault. When you are to your point, when you have no power, you can't be creative. Yeah. 
which I think is where we're at right here. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, when I talk about the Kabuki Warriors, though, you know, Ka- Kyrie Sane killed it in NXT. Wonderful matches at all the takeovers. Uh, beloved, good, good gimmick. You know, women, I, for sure, my girlfriend's like a big anime fan. She's like, oh, I love this girl. Um, but uh, with Asuka, I mean, Asuka was a top talent. She was a title holder, you know, just before WrestleMania. Um, to see her, I mean, she hasn't been on TV in a couple weeks now. I just, I mean, that that for me, you know, the, the Viking Raiders or whatever, they got heated up a little bit last night on, on Raw. But, uh, but, man, Asuka is probably the biggest story of just like WTF, I think WWE may have had in the past couple months. Well, and she's the bigger problem from when you call people up from NXT and you don't give them great direction and you don't you, you misuse them, they lose all that momentum. Asuka was one of, if not the hottest act in NXT for a moment. She was undefeated, right? She had all this momentum behind her. You could argue she's one of the best women in the entire company. And they bring her up and she loses at Mania. She doesn't earn that spot. She doesn't even get to defend the title this year at Mania. They just, yeah. She feels like us in, in here, to your point, love Kyrie Sane. As a result, Asuka almost feels like she's playing second fiddle to Sane. Yeah, it's very bizarre to me. Uh, well, uh, in our final uh, WWE item here before we get to some other promotions, Drake Maverick pinned our truth on Raw after faking that he wasn't to become the two-time 24-7 champion. He has now headed off on his honeymoon with his wife, who was on Raw, where they are going to do it 24-7. That was the actual <laughs> joke from the show. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to hate on this. It's fun. I'm enjoying it. Drake Maverick and EC3 put out one of maybe my favorite WWE viral bits ever over the weekend. Did you see them, the two of them on a bench? Yeah. yeah. Just great. <laughs> just just really well well produced, very well done. Uh, I, I mean, what, what more can I say? Truth will get this back. I, in my head, I was like, at what point are we like, R-Truth, 127-time WWE 24-7 champion. Does this ever get old, you know? Well, they, they, they've backed this into a potentially interesting feud now that you could run on a pay-per-view. If they were to run Drake, Maverick, and R-Truth against each other for this title on a pay-per-view, I would be interested in that match because they've done so much work to get it us would, there. It, so It would have to be like a hell in a cell where <laughs> the talent, the other people couldn't interfere, right? <laughs> and like So you've got all these guys waiting outside the cell, you know, for whoever wins this crazy hell in a cell match this is probably the only time in recent memory that i've been like this feud deserves a hell in a cell blow off it makes sense <laughs> oh yeah absolutely no it's, it's working i was thinking last night this is working despite all of my criticism 24 7 champion all i'm right. interested all right well speaking of criticisms uh you know there was a lot to like a couple things people were up in arms about coming out of aew fighter fest of course we'll start off here uh sean spears blasted cody rhodes with an unprotected headshot uh, after his match with Darby Allen, great match with him and Darby. Uh, Cody received 12 stitches, no concussion, and the post-match scrums. Uh, both Tony Khan and the Young Bucks confirmed that was a gimmicked chair. We we That was not what was supposed to have happened. Uh, so it was a total accident. Uh, if What happened was, if you can imagine, um, you take the steel chair, there's the big square portion that's the seat portion. Uh, that part, uh, the very top of it hit Cody, and then the, the hole between that and the backrest of the uh, the chair slid down the back of Cody's head, sliced him up across the back. There was a big pool of blood in the ring. Uh, that's what led to the 12 stitches. Now that we've had a couple days to take this all in, uh, Mike, what, do you, what are your impressions of, of this what, you know, unprotected hair shots, headshot that went so badly? I said it in the moment, and I stand by it here three days later, and that is this was a terrible idea. I know there was all this talk about this chair being gimmicked, and obviously I think the cut and the blood, that was an accident, so I'm not even going to hold that against them. But the idea that with what we know about 
CTE and concussions and, and brain damage here in 2019 and what it's done to the business over the years. I just, I can't get behind a segment that promotes this. Now I get it. You said your chair was gimmicked, right? But in all the things I've read and all the different ways you can gimmick these chairs, especially with a steel chair like this, because I know New Japan does their weird things with the chairs where they break in the middle and they're not actually put together. And it's a little bit different, I think. But with the way they were doing this, there's no scenario with this gimmick chair where it's still not a steel chair hitting Cody Rhodes on the head. Even if it takes off some of the blow, it's still happening and it still could cause a concussion or cause serious brain damage. Brains are delicate, y'all. So I just think I know they wanted to get across some level of brutality here. I think there was probably a better way to do it than using a steel chair, unless you can tell me the steel chair was made of foam. Yeah, which uh, it obviously was not. Now, um, I've, uh, there's an interesting thread right now. Do you follow the Blue Meanie on, on yeah. Twitter? Okay, so have you been seeing all of his comments about this this chair shot? So I saw a little bit the other day. What's what's the update? So, well, I mean, Meanie basically was talking about, you know, when they say gimmicked chair, what does that mean? How do you gimmick a steel chair? So what he said is back in ECW when uh, Balls Mahoney, who would do a lot of chair shots, uh, receive them and, and give them, you know, and just when they were more common, they would take the chair in the back and they would pound the uh, the seat part of it, like pound it down and make a little dent in the middle of it and then pop it forward. And so when you hit somebody with the chair, it would pop like a Snapple cap. You know what I mean? So you mm. get the impact, but as soon as it hits, it pops backwards and you kind of fall with the chair. So it's a little tap that sounds and looks obviously a lot harder. This sounds like nonsense to me, but this is apparently what they did to gimmick chairs back in the day. Now, if you actually go and you and they and Meanie and you can go find go go find Brian Heffron, Blue Meanie on Twitter, you can go find this thread. He has a still photo of the chair being held by Spears after the fact or before the fact, and it does look like the seat portion of it has been banged out. So there, that's the speculation. Is that what they were trying to do with that unprotected hair sh- headshot? Obviously, it didn't go that way. Um, I got the vibe that Tony Khan in the scrum was like really not happy that he was having to talk about this. I would guess this would probably be the last time we ever see one of those in AEW. Well, and and, and, and I think I also saw maybe it was that thread or another thread where Lance Storm was talking about how he used to do some of those. And that to your point, the problem with those is that whenever you kind of gimmick the chair up and it gives and it gives more, there is a tendency then for somebody's head to slide in between the seat of the chair and the upper part, and that's where the cuts come from. So it would make a lot of sense if that's what happened. So... Yeah, you don't want to talk about this with Tony Khan, especially because he also is connected to a major NFL franchise, and that's the last kind of heat you want right now. Uh, you know, maybe it was safer than what I'm giving them credit for. I just think with what we know about the business over the years, I think it gives a bad look, and oh. I think Tony Khan is definitely feeling that heat, or he was at least Saturday night and Sunday. Yeah, that's the thing for me is it's just like it's not worth the headache, and I mean, I don't change. Ah, that. headache. Uh. Yeah, it's a, it's just not worth the headache. And I and I definitely got the vibe from how Tony was talking after the fact that like I was like I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> I just don't think we're yeah. going to I don't think he's ever going to get sold on a safe quote-unquote headshot chair shot unprotected chair shot to the head again. Um also coming out of Fighter Fest, we had a, a debut Ali, uh, Ali and Darby Allen both debuted on the show. Uh Ali uh was taking on uh Leva Bates the librarian on the All In Buy-in show. Now again, Michael, we were in that building um this did not I, – I mean, look, I, I thought the main card of Fighter Fest was actually very good. I think that if they had not made some of the choices on that buy-in card that they did, uh, you know, the, there was a lot of comedy. I don't know that this librarian thing is really resonating. I think it would have been a better received show. I think there were a lot of eye rolls for, out of the gate during the buy-in that, that maybe didn't set the best tone for what was to come. 
I was not as critical of the Firefest parody stuff as you were, I think. I think that really um, got to you a lot more than it did to me. Obviously, they're paying off some BTE storyline, so it kind of makes sense. But the librarian gimmick is definitely one that I've not understood since day one. Uh, it seems just like a, a gimmick. It literally seems like the definition of a gimmick, and it doesn't have a purpose here. And that match, I think that match did not highlight Allie in the way it was supposed to because of all the librarian stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, it's just a little too goofy for me. Yeah. You know, just kind of, I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, again, it's like you look at the act action in, in AEW right now is real adult and intense. There's a real dis disparity there. Maybe they haven't completely... I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say they haven't completely found the bridge because they've done a lot of stuff that rolled over from BTE into their into their shows in the past. It just felt a little... Uh, it felt a little out of place for me this time around. It, you know, again, it's like everybody likes different things in pro wrestling. You know, very comedic. And I did ask the Bucks about it in the Scrum too, and, you know, they noted we were just trying to pay off the stuff we did on, on BTE. It was definitely a more comedic thing, but you can look forward to a more serious product at Fight for the Fallen. And they're still finding their voice too, right? Like yeah. we're, we're kind of nitpicking this, but they haven't figured out how to do backstage segments yet. And they're going to learn more of this going into the fall with their TV deal on TNT. So it's a growing process. That's what being creative is. Yeah. That. What do you think with the librarian? Do you think they double down it and push on with this thing? Or do you think we see uh, less of the librarians? I think you see less. You've seen it twice now. I don't think it worked either time. Okay. Maybe they'll turn. Maybe... Maybe they'll get hit in the head and become illiterate, right? Mm. Um, Moxley did pick up his first win over Janela in the unsanctioned match that uh, ended the show. Uh, very brutal bout. I thought Joey looked great here. Uh, and then following the show, we all went into the back of the scrum area. All Again, all the scrums are up there, but by far our most viral scrum, the most viral clip of the entire thing is MJF cursing out the media, and in particularly uh, me, we called a little, little man. man. Called me a little, little man. man. And uh, then uh, after responding to me, uh, stormed out of the media scrum area. So um, this guy's fire. He's only 20. Man. He's 23. Nah. 23. Oh, my God. The dude is – he knows how to work a crowd. He is stealing the spotlight every chance he gets. He has He has the best – he's one of the best speakers in the entire business right now, dude. And whenever he goes up against Hangman Page one-on-one, -on -one, that match – Baby face, true blue baby face versus the baddest ass heel in the world is going to be so much money. I loved it afterwards because, like, before Jungle Boy came out, he Luchasaurus was like holding him upside down. And I asked him about that in the scrum, and he was like, Well, I had to hang upside down for two minutes because MJF talked so long, and all the blood started rushing to my head as I was hanging upside down back there. So that's actually what, what stemmed the, uh, <laughs> the curse out there from MJF when I brought that up. Uh, the Observer reporting uh, LAX, Santana, and Ortiz, their contracts come up uh, later this summer. They are, of course, the current Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions. Uh, both WWE and AEW have interest in these guys. I am, I am so impressed with LAX. Of all, you know, say what you will about Impact Wrestling, they did absolutely everything. Conan, uh, Ortiz, uh, or not Con uh, Ortiz, uh, Conan, uh, Homicide. Uh, Hernandez, uh, the OGZs, the Lucha Brothers, everybody has gotten in line and made these guys look like absolute stars. And LAX, they're goddamn commodity. And so whoever get their hands on them, uh, God bless. If I'm Impact Wrestling, uh, I know it doesn't sound like, I don't know how often they're making big deals, but I would do what I could to keep these guys on your roster right now. You made them, and they're great. They're great. And you have such a lineage. I mean, these guys have been around since, like, 2005. It's just crazy to me that this is still a, an ongoing group, and, and they're just killing it, absolutely killing it. Um, well, also over the weekend, we had ROH Best in the World. I'm going to be watching that here today. 
I, I've just been too much with, with us traveling, but what I do know is Flip Gordon has been revealed as the fourth member of Villain Enterprises. He's now known as the Mercenary. I got to see the reveal. I've, I've seen Flip in his new Mercenary gear. Creepy. I, I dig this. I, I, I want to see where they take this. It much reminds me of when Marty made the transition uh, away from being a baby to a heel and, and started to develop his villain personality. I, I hope the same for Flip. I think this is a very good fit for him here. Yep, it's going to allow him to flex some new muscles creatively, um, develop a new look, hopefully get a little bit more attention, and nothing but growth there from a creative perspective. So, awesome. Speaking of Villain Enterprise, this is on the run sheet, but of course, I'm a big fan of PCO and Destros here. Did you watch the Monday night uh, PCO video last night? I did not see that. Okay. That's okay. Once you go watch it, it's about 90 seconds. Everybody needs to go watch it. Go over to PCO's Twitter handle, or Twitter. He, whoever filmed this thing and produced it and directed it is not the person who's been doing it up until this point this thing is cinema quality i'm talking like you know what maybe it was nick mondo i'm gonna call nick mondo i'm gonna find out if he did this or not because <laughs> it i mean it is it's beautifully shot it's pco training by taking on an entire what he's calling the xfl all-stars football team and it's just it's very very good so i just want to put that everybody's ear to go check that out i'm gonna call oh uh, yeah i see it right here this is super this is super produced Doesn't, it feels like a commercial dude Right? Doesn't it? it, It's like I would say on the same level of production as the Moxley stuff. That's why I'm saying Nick Mondo. Nick Cool doesn't feel like a guy with a cell phone anymore. It feels like actually somebody used cameras and and edited it and did all that stuff. It's beautiful. So anyway, check check it out. Uh, Eli Drake has uh, also coming out of Best in the World. He's signed with the NWA. He was a Colt Cabana surprise tag team partner at ROH Best in the World. So. Somebody got their hands on him, NWA with Eli Drake. I, I don't really know what that means. Like, NWA isn't really like a promotion right now. They're like an entity. So I don't know what that means. Uh, they're, all an, they're an alliance, technically, I think is the word you're looking for there. You're right. So Why, Eli Drake making a curious choice there. But you know who's over there. You know who their world champion is. That so kind of makes a little bit of sense. Um, Austin Gunn, Billy Gunn's son, has announced that he has signed with Ring of Honor. Uh, of course, uh, he was seen it all in. So uh, best to him. You can't wait to see how he develops there. Uh, Tommy Dreamer on his most recent podcast uh, revealed a like, terrifying, terrible story where he admitted to considering a murder-suicide with Paul Heyman, uh, and involving Paul Heyman at WrestleMania 17 due to how depressed he was with his career and how he felt Heyman had like, grifted money from him and his parents. He was going to jump the barricade with a gun, which he knew he could get into the building because he knew Texas laws. He was going to uh, go over to the, the announce table. He was going to shoot Paul in the back of the head. He was then going to do his wrestling pose and then shoot himself. And it wasn't until Jim Ross called him to say that, you know, while you weren't booked for X7 and we told you we were going to use you, just hold tight. We've got plans. We're going to get you into the mix. And I guess that call from JR derailed all of these plans and led to Dreamer, you know, uh, creating the career he has. Just effing, like, WTF. Like, that's awful. Uh, And I'm glad he's in the place he's at now, but... That's dark, man. That's the darkest story I've ever heard. I, I'm I'm shocked that Tommy Dreamer. I mean, he's just being super vulnerable here, right? So I, I respect that. But that he would admit this on the air to a very in a very public way is just crazy to me. And yeah, the insanity of this entire thing. WrestleMania X7, one of the biggest pay per views of all time, especially at that moment, the biggest wrestling event ever. You know, but but this is this is insane. Uh, I'm so glad Tommy Dreamer did not fall through with his plan. I'm so glad he's he was able to stabilize and get the help he needed. And, and obviously he's done so much since then, but yeah, what the, what could have been here is insane. Uh, and uh, lastly here, this is a very traffic story on the site. It's an indie wrestling story. The news and tribune reporting that fans who attended the pro wrestling train wreck promotions. Welcome to the rec room 
uh, indie event, which featured a lot of uh, deathmatch-type stuff uh, on Sunday, June 23rd in New Albany, Indiana, may have been exposed to bloodborne pathogens and should be tested for HIV and hepatitis C. Health, official, health officials have highly encouraged anyone who attended the event and who was explo- exposed to blood or bodily fluids to contact the Floyd County Health Department to get tested for HIV and hepatitis C. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is, it reminds me a few years ago, Triple H was like, we're, we're cool doing business with guys or with organizations, indie organizations who do business the right way. Man, this is a bad look for, I mean, not only for that uh, pro wrestling train wreck promotion, but just it gives wrestling a bad name. It feels gross and grimy. And, uh, you know, I'm all for the kind of stuff we saw Saturday night at the AEW event. I love some good hardcore matches, but it's too easy for some of these guys to go out there and just do whatever. And in an unregulated state, it becomes very dangerous like it is here. HIV. Uh, hepatitis C, these are not things to play around with. And I, I'm just, somebody needs to be held accountable for this because that is a very unfortunate, unsafe um, thing to happen to wrestling fans. My guest at this time is the styling, profiling, limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun who has had a hard time keeping his alligators down for a long time. He is the 16-time world heavyweight champion. It is the nature boy. Rick Flair, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here today. Oh, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity. Man, you how are, are you? I'm great, Rick. How are you doing? You are like you're you're right out of the hospital here and living life times ten at the moment. Actually, I'm the best Nick that I have been in ten years. It's unbelievable. Um, uh, you know, they finally got it right. I hope, and I, I'm. <laughs> And trust me, I say that with bated breath because <laughs> sometimes I find myself sitting around waiting for it to go bad again. But it's um, um, it's kind of like um, taking an old car and putting a whole new engine in it, right? Sure. And you got to drink it. You got to play around with it and tighten the screw here and turn that turn a valve here, whatever. But that that's what it took. It was the final piece uh, after having uh, let me see three consecutive surgeries in five weeks i went in for that fourth one which was like the reason it got so blown out of proportion was that i because of protocol i had to walk through the emergency room which was all of 30 seconds to get into the hospital just for protocol yeah because i couldn't breathe and uh but i didn't go by ambulance or anything like that i just was walking like real i just literally couldn't breathe and then they um, started looking at me, and they found a blood clot in my leg, and that, that it, which I'd had for years, but had gone away. A little piece had gone to my lung, and I got rid of that. So I spent three days there cleaning up late with Lasix because I had fluid on my heart from the <clears throat> from all the anesthesia from the three other surgeries. Yeah. They put massive Lasix in me, and they put Q-Unit in me, and. Then they fixed me, and I—I I mean, it, I, it's like night and day. I mean, the next day I knew that I was as good as I've ever been. And I literally, prior to February, I was running like level seven on a treadmill, you know. Which, but I mean, that's how good I felt. It, prior to that, now all of a sudden, uh, they put me on some medication because I, um, my, um, I was going into AFib periodically. You know what that means? So when your heart goes out of rhythm, yeah. So, 
and they gave me some medication that caused some breathing problems. And literally from February 20th until I got this done a month ago, I was having problems off and on with the breathing, which gave me a whole new perspective on people that have um, issues with breathing and um, all the terrible um, things that go with it. So um, I'm great. I feel great. I'm back full speed. Um, I can do anything. Um, it healed up. Uh, it healed perfectly because I took the time to do exactly what they told me to the, to the T and um, I'm great yeah. back at work. And uh, you know, just ready to go. Man. Thank God. Man. <laughs> so wait, so you know, you, you had issues like a couple years ago, obviously, and everybody was worried about you. You came back. I didn't think you were going to yeah. live the, the Ric Flair lifestyle this time around. You come back and you're like, no, I'm fully living the Ric Flair lifestyle. Why the, why the change? Exactly. In, why the change in attitude this time, as opposed to when it happened the last time? Well, the last time I remember, I, uh, that's when I almost died. I was, um, I had a stoma. I had a, a bag attached to my intestine for a year. Yeah. And I lost 45 pounds, 43 to be exact. And I couldn't walk and I couldn't, I don't even remember. I didn't have my full memory until, um, around January. So, um, it was, no, I don't think a lot of people, unless you were there, understood how bad it was. I was, after I was 31 days in intensive care, which was 12 days of, uh, um, on the respirator, life support, then another 25 days, 31 total in intensive care, and then 30 days in a rehab facility uh, about three miles from the hospital where I had to learn how to walk and everything again. And when I came home, I was still on an IV, and I didn't even know I had the bag attached to me after after being a month in a rehab center. That's how bad I was. So, Jeez. yeah, my memory was just totally gone, and I don't I it's come back to me now perfectly. But I I I don't remember any of the events of being in the hospital. Wow, and the so, rehab yeah. I do, but not the hospital. Wow. And so this time around, you're, you, since you're not having to carry around a bag and stuff, I guess you just don't see those hurdles. So now it's just back to being Ric Flair. Again. Well, it's not, it's not carrying it around. It was attached to my side. It's just something you learn to live with. You know, we hired full-time care, but, um, you know, and they took shifts and that. And finally, it was just, it, it's just hard to have people that, different people taking care of you. It's a very, it's nothing that anybody wants to ever address. Yeah. So my wife went over and took a two-day class and learning how to do it, and she could do it better than they could, just because. And and she, you know, she did it with me, uh, took care of me for a year with me. Wow. Sometimes you have to change it four times a day. You are a nightmare. You're very lucky, I guess. Nothing. It's nothing anybody wants to ever have. Trust me. Yeah. Avoid that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds right. And so, like, how does how does your family, your friends, you know, you're obviously going to do your thing. Like, how are they feeling about you deciding to just continue to, you know, run at a thousand miles per hour, be thirty five year old Rick? Well, Flair forever? Not, I'm not I'm not doing my thing like I used to drinking wise. Okay, working out and that. I, I think they fully expected that. But sure. um, you know, what what I meant by that was, is I'm going to have a couple beers. You know, why not? Sure. Uh, I've, I've come to realize that alcohol is not what caused the problem. Uh, now, what alcohol did and, and did and has 
cause problems with my heart. Okay. But that wasn't what caused the intestine problems. So um, if I with somebody socially, which I, I was like last week in Albert, I was down there with my uh, stepson checking him in, and we walked around the college campus, and I love college bars anyway. I bet so, you do. You're like, uh, yeah. you, you got uh, I, I did have a couple beers at Auburn, <laughs> but just beer. I can't, no, yeah. no, 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 no vodka. Trust me. It wasn't because the kids weren't trying to buy me one. <laughs> I was about to say, I can only imagine having a few, being at my college bar, and in walks the nature boy, Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it was. <laughs> you know, uh, there's this, there's this, there's this documentary, the Bill Murray stories, where everybody like seems to have a Bill Murray. You're, you're kind of the same way. I feel like people, you've you created so many memories for people just popping up in different uh, places and doing different things. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is. You know, it's fun. I, uh, you know, I love college football, and I've, um, I, I have ties socially with Kevin Green and Charles Barkley uh, with Auburn. Especially Charles uh, Barkley, who I see all the time, or on a fairly regular basis. Um, and my uh, stepson wanted to go to school there. I've never been to the campus, but it's great. It's awesome. And uh, my stepdaughter's at Georgia. So we have some uh, a family rivalry going on. That's good for the family and good for the household. And uh, everybody likes college football. So cool. it'll be fun here during the season. Well, very cool. Here, I'll shift gears here a little bit. I know uh, I want to talk a bit about your RickFlayerShop.com. This is your new store. Tell me a little bit about what you got going on here with your side project, Rick Flair Shop. Well, um, my wife runs it, actually. It's, uh, she sells clothing and different stuff. Um, uh, actually, I don't even have the full menu of, of items that she has. But, okay. Um, Shower curtains. I'm getting some background here. Okay. What? Shower curtains, suitcases. Suitcases. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. Anything that has to do with Ric Flair. I actually found a new picture of her from Greece when she was 23 years old. On it. That, that's a must buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dream. Yeah, she's in a song. <laughs> well, I'll tell my girlfriend what I want for Christmas. I'm sure she'll be very yeah, happy exactly. about that. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll get it for you, Nick. No problem. Free. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Just, tell her to just call me directly. I appreciate that. I'll have you make out the envelope for her. I know the owner. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> You're ridiculous. So now life is good, man. We couldn't be happier. Uh, I wanted to uh, so wait with the the shirts and stuff. Do you ever are you creative? Do you ever come up with designs and stuff for your merchandise, or is that all other people that do that stuff? Oh no, it's all us. Everything in house. Man, that's yeah. Cool. No, Wendy, Wendy and her daughter Sophia, they do all that. Wow. Yeah, and then they bring it to me to look at uh, sometimes. But let's not get carried away. She's getting, final approval. Yeah, she's got, now I have final approval. I just, I just got that because of you, Nick. Sure. You've got, <laughs> you've, got the, you've got you've got you've got the Vince McMahon role of Ric Flair shop. Everything goes through you, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I got final approval with the talent, the referee. Let me run it by Vince. I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> when do you see the house divided shirt? Yeah. Okay. No. Good. No, uh, everything's fine. Um, uh, too much. We'll have two in college this fall, and uh, 
two more to go. So everything, I, I couldn't be happier. My family's good. Uh, my oldest daughter, Megan, with Conrad Thompson, and they're doing great. And Ashley is, uh, what can I say, the queen. And um, she's great. So life is really good. Well, you brought up Conrad there. You know, I was uh, at StarCast, too. We were all very bummed that you couldn't be a part of that. Like, how bummed were you to not yeah. be able to, to get to do your roast, uh, the roast of Ric Flair at StarCast this year? What, what count it again? No, I said, how bummed were you to not be able to have people roast you? Oh, at I know, Castle? God. Wasn't it funny? I, what's funny is that I was going to have the procedure that I had done the week after I got back from StarCast, and then I couldn't breathe on uh, Wednesday night, so we had to go in Thursday. I couldn't wait. I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't have made it out there. Yeah. I'd yeah. have to go, you know, probably from wheelchair to, you know what I mean? Even to make it down a, uh, prior to the surgery, walking through a terminal or clearing customs about killed me, walking when I came back from England after the second surgery. Okay. So um, uh, it just, I hated missing it. And uh, I, I heard he did very well. I heard that uh, the show was a success. And, uh, you know, I loved, I was really looking forward to it. I liked seeing all the guys and, uh, um, you know, it's one of those things that happens, but in this case, it, it helped me out a lot to, to not be there. So, um, I feel bad, but I don't feel that bad because I'm finally, I hope in the position right now, physically where I've gotten over the hump. So good. Well, we're all happy to hear that. You know, there was a rumor I heard that you were supposed to be the one instead of Bret Hart that was going to debut the AEW championship at double or nothing. Is there any truth that you were in talks to do that? No, absolutely not. Okay. I can honestly tell you that. I heard that too and uh um no, I've never I've never discussed that with anybody. Okay. Um uh, I'm flattered that I was in the consideration, but I was I was never approached with that deal. Okay. Did you uh did you get a chance to check out AW Double or Nothing at all? Did you watch yeah. any of it? I did. Okay. I did. Okay. And I thought it was I thought it was a fantastic show. Yeah. Uh, you know what did you uh, what did you think of the the Dustin Rhodes Cody Rhodes match the son of the the American Dream? I thought uh, I, I thought it was great. I just saw uh, Dustin in Austin, Texas, two weeks ago, and I talked to him. I, I talked to both kids after the uh, I call them kids because I've known them both so long. Yeah, I talked to them both after the show. They, they I thought they were tremendous. Yeah, I thought Chris Jericho was tremendous. Um, I had never seen the guy who worked against work. And I've never seen the Young Bucks. I'm told I did at TNA, but I don't remember them. Okay. But um, yeah, they um, they lived up to everything that I'd heard they were and more. Yeah. And then the surprise with uh, John at the end of the show, I thought they did a great job on that. And uh, you know, uh, they hit a home run. It, it was great. And uh, you know, fans love people love wrestling. It, it's that's not going to change. Yeah. So um, I think I think it's pretty good for the business right now. If you're, a, if you're a young, aspiring wrestler, you couldn't be in a better position right now. Yeah. How, how much of this right now feels like the uh, the early days of the WCW-WWE uh, Monday Night Wars back in the day to you? Uh, you know, there's a potential for that, but I'll tell you when you're really going to feel it is after they air their first show in October. Yeah. That, yeah. That'll, be, that'll, that'll, that'll start a whole different dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to build momentum. I think they have another show in uh, 
end of August, September, I think, right? So mm-hmm. if they hit a home run there and they go into October with, uh, you know, wrestling people talking, uh, they will 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 hammer it or nail it um, their first show out. And then um, they've got the right people. They've got to understand Tony Khan is a very smart, he's not just his father's son. He's a passionate, intelligent young man. He's not a kid that has been uh, his dad's wingman from day one with the Jaguars. Now he runs a soccer team in England, and he has been in every aspect of his father's business, lifestyle. He understands it. And uh, I heard that his dad was there in Vegas. He was. And his dad really didn't get it. Oh, he was there, right? He was, yeah. Yeah, and that uh, he didn't really probably understand what what Tony was doing because he hadn't been to a live event like that. But I heard he was just over the top uh, with Tony. Yeah, good. You know, congratulated him and said, I, I get it, which is really cool because they got a lot of money. <laughs> and uh, they're not going to be foolish because they understand sports. Um, you know, they just got to. You know, they've got to build and take their time and not worry about um, WWE and um, just do their own thing. Yeah, well, the product... It'll it'll definitely be a topic after they start uh, with a regular program on TV, which is good. Yeah, well, the production's just, you know, so good, so crisp. You can tell you're working with a bunch of professionals. You know, one of the bigger, I guess you want to call stunts that they did throughout the night was, you know, uh, obviously I'll preface this by saying... You're obviously in evolution with Triple H. Uh, Cody went and made this Triple H esque throne and then destroyed it with a sledgehammer. Oh, yeah. What did you uh, What did you think about Cody's little statement there before his match with Dustin? Um. Well, if you're if you're going to uh, make a statement, he's the you know, Hunter's the top guy. Okay. Hunter is um, a big part of the company, and not only has he been a phenomenal talent for him. Hunter is the disciple of the business. I mean, to the point where you couldn't have, you could not have, he could not have come along at a better time um, in 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 wrestling than he than he did. Because, and then of course, Marion Stephanie, um, as he's got a work ethic just like Vincent. He's he's the he to me in my mind. If um, something ever happens to Vince, God forbid, Hunter will be the guy running the company. Um, for the simple fact that he is relentless in his work ethic, and uh, he, he he has learned it backwards and forwards. He's been part of uh, tough decisions, whether they be good or bad. Um, and there's always tough decisions to make in business. Wrestling is no different. So um, that's how you get some of the tension. You, you you jump on the guy. <laughs> hey, when they're talking about you, you're doing something good. That's that's, that, that's a good that's a good saying. This business. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, uh, there was a you know you brought up John Moxley, the former Dean Ambrose. You know the the job they did yeah. with him. Very cool stuff. You know, obviously shortly after he did that podcast with Chris Jericho, where he didn't have the best things to say about Vince and the way he's running his creative team at the moment. I mean, what did you yeah, what did you make I, of those comments? I, I didn't hear that, so help bring me bring me up to speed. Oh boy! Uh, well, John Moxley went on Chris Jericho's podcast and basically said that you know you got all these. No, young... I knew I knew that, but I didn't I didn't hear the podcast. I'm sorry. So go 
Oh, okay. Yeah, well, he uh, yeah, he basically just said he thought Vince was out of touch. He didn't, you know, understand his crowd anymore and that he thought it was time for Vince to, to step down as the head of creative. I didn't know if you had any thoughts on, on the strong comments he had made about Vince. Well, um, you know, in all honesty, Nick, I haven't been there enough to even comment on that. But I... Uh, I think that Vince leaves a lot of the creative up to other people now. It's my understanding. Yeah. And uh, where at one time you could say he was in total control of creative, I don't think that's the case anymore. And I think that they, um, I see that they're moving people in in and out and around now. Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And, um, this is one of the times in the, in this business when they um, are looking for the guy. Does that make sense? It, yes, it does. I mean, okay, the guy meaning uh, Hulk Hogan. I'm going to WAB. The guy being Roddy Piper. The guy being uh, uh, Shawn Michaels. The guy being Hunter. The guy being Undertaker. The guy being The Rock. The guy being Stone Cold. I mean, and uh, I think that Roman was going to be that guy. And then, of course, the illness set him back. I think he still can be, but it's hard. They have some great talent there, great wrestlers, but they're having a hard time figuring out, in my estimation, you know, who the guy is. And it's not because they're not talented. It's just, you know, they're getting... I think cross they're getting mixed, pretty mixed feelings and mixed emotions from different people, and um, you have to have been a wrestler for a long time to see that. But you can watch the show if you watch it weekly, like which I really I still enjoy watching, um, mostly because my daughter, you know, I like to see what the girls are doing on Raw now. Uh, I always watch SmackDown and see what she's doing, but um, it's um, they they usually come out of WrestleMania with uh, three or four really good uh, angles or, uh, you know, things to run with. And they literally came out of WrestleMania this year and they came out for the first time in a long time, I think pretty flat. So it's just hard, you know, Ronda went away, Brock went away. um, And, and then they, you know, you're, you're, you got to move forward. And, um, I just think it's um, they had a tremendous WrestleMania, made a statement with the women and all that, and I think the women proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that they deserve that spot in the main event, and then they pulled it off. Even at going in the ring at 12 o'clock plus at night, they still had a phenomenal match. The fans stayed to watch it. Um, but the next day, they needed to come up with something as big, and uh, I just think that... Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to do that every year. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a tough it's tough to keep creative juices flowing. I mean when you're doing 500 plus shows a year, you know, and you're dealing exactly. with exactly 300 I mean, talents. I mean, you know, they, they're programming. They have the wrestling with you know SmackDown and Raw. Then they have NXT and Hunter. I mean, here's Hunter literally working four days a week, yeah. and then figuring out a time to get his workout in because he like Vince will work out at 2 o'clock in the morning rather than miss a workout and then uh, uh, find time to be creative. So um, 
And Stephanie, you know, who is the best heel on a regular basis and the best heel I have right now, even not being on TV, you know, is home with, with the kids, you know, which I think is her decision. It's hard to do both when they get to that age where they need their mom. And I, I get that. Yeah. But I used to turn the show on just to see Stephanie. <laughs> and I think a lot of other people did too. So now you got to find a new heel. Yeah, for your money, you know, who do you think is the is the next big, I won't say the guy because now there's women too. I mean, who for you do you think could be that, that torch carrier at the moment for WWE? Or do you see them? Well, that's just it. They've, they've got some phenomenal talent. You, I mean, I'm not saying they're not carrying the torch. I'm saying they haven't decided, in, in my opinion, who they want to carry it. Yeah. You've got Roman. You've got Seth. You've got AJ Styles. I mean, all three tremendous. Randy Orton. I mean, there isn't a better worker in the business when he wants to work than Randy Orton. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But Randy, you know, Randy has been there. He's been, when he makes those interviews, but I've been here for 15 years and done it all. It's the truth. That's how fast time's gone by. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, Randy, but Randy Orton, if you take his size into consideration, his look, you know, it's hard to say Randy's not the man. Yeah. Um, now, uh, getting back to the kind of creative shuffle you had brought up that WWE's doing at the moment, there was some big news that broke this morning. Uh, WWE is named mm-hmm. Paul Heyman. And Eric Bischoff is executive directors. Heyman sounds like he's going to be running Raw, and Bischoff will be running SmackDown. Now, I know that you and Eric, uh, on good terms, wasn't always on the best of terms, but they're bringing Bischoff back in a creative role here to help creatively guide SmackDown. Uh, how do you think he'll do in that role? Uh, uh, I can't predict. How, I think he'll do good. Okay. You know, it's he'll do as good as anybody else. <laughs> yeah, you know, does that make sense? I mean, it 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 you, when you when you say that, you have to remember that Eric is is going to work with ten other people. Right. Eric Eric is going to is going to have uh, the job that I have <laughs> when I was like on the booking committee. Okay. Well, there was five or six guys every time, but if someone didn't like something, it was my fault. Now, how is it my fault? It's my fault because I'm Ric Flair. <laughs> okay. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it's not going to be Kevin Sullivan's fault. It's not going to be Dundee's fault. Not going to be Mike Graham's fault. Not going to be Greg Gagne's fault. Not going to be Jim Cornette's fault. It's going to be Ric Flair's fault. Okay? I mean, if I'm the booker, uh, I'll give you an example. I'm glad you called me. We can talk. Uh, if I'm the booker, why am I letting Hulk Hogan beat me 10 times and then bring Randy Savage in to beat me 10 times? Why, if I'm the booker, why am I doing that to myself? Good question. And if I have a lot to say, why am I, why are those guys making three times what I'm making money-wise? Yeah, fair. Now, another question, I mean, Nick, since you brought it up, why are 15 people in WCW getting paid more than me? It's a very good question. 15. So, okay, okay. And no, that, no, but still, if you'll get guys that'll say, Flair screwed me. Flair did, Flair, how did Flair screw you? Who didn't I put over? One guy, Lex Luger. I volunteered to go to do it for Barry the day before in Columbus, Ohio, in Columbus, Georgia, but I wasn't going to do it on an event without my contract that her promised me. So, uh, you know, I cut my hair, but he, 
he owed me money and I wouldn't do it. So that's other than that, I don't know who I didn't put over in the wrestling business. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think? Uh, how I, do they, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I laugh because I'm thinking about people say, well, you've lived through airplane crashes and all that. How about, <laughs> how about Russo buried me in the desert? I lost to a match for Hogan in a cage match, but I already lost to him twice. Yes. I was supposed to have a, a year off, and I came back a month later because they needed me. They buried me in the desert, and Russo called me a week later to come back out. So I said to Russo, how, uh, how'd I get out of the desert? And then we have, we've left the black scorpion out of the equation. <laughs> Yet I was the booker. Yes. <laughs> Please explain that to me. <laughs> sure, sure. Sounds like a thing. Just in case. In case you're not familiar with the history of wrestling. <laughs> Man, it's so wild. Like, hearing you talk about these decisions, it just so vividly came back to me, the uncensored triple cage match with you in the Dungeon of Doom versus Hogan and Savage. And that was uh, just ridiculous. What was going on there? Um, no, but I'm, I'm, I'm just laughing. You know, these, these people that have, have come up with this idea that I was ever the booker. God, it just killed me. Yeah. I was the guy... <laughs> I was just trying to, you know, here's the deal. And I want to make sure I clarify this. Sure. I was the guy that I wanted to wrestle Hulk. And I didn't ask. I just wanted to be in the match with Hogan. I wanted to put Hulk over. I wanted to put Steve Austin over. I wanted to be, I wanted to be wrestling the top guys. I didn't think I deserved to wrestle guys that weren't on, on top. And so I said, hey, whatever you want. And I, I love that spot. So I, I only have myself to blame for not the money. I should have said, yeah, I'll go get Hulk, but you pay me the same. Put it in black and white. <laughs> I didn't. I just wanted Hulk there. Yeah. And Hulk, when he came, that made a big deal. It was a big deal for us. It was huge. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, and then bringing Randy was huge, too. But I should have got, you know, he should have got 10% of a booking fee from all the guys I brought in. <laughs> <laughs> so you were so you were pretty influential in helping to bring Hulk in. Would you say that's fair? In bringing Hulk in, yeah, uh, yeah, I'd say I was more than influential. Okay, because I mean, I, the story always goes that Bischoff was the one that like walked down the street and like found him on the Thunder in Paradise set and was like, "Hey, why don't you?" Take oh, a really? No, really? As a matter of fact, well, let me just give you. A, <laughs> he <laughs> Eric called me in his office and said, "How well do you know Hogan?" I said, "Very well." He said, do you think you could get me on the phone with him? I said, yeah. So I called Hulk, and Hulk said, come on down. Eric and I flew down, and here's where I made my big mistake. We drove over to the set of Thunder in Paradise. He went in Hogan's trailer. I introduced him. I sat in the car. They made a deal. <laughs> and then we got back, and we booked me against Hulk. Wow. Wow. What a little Easter egg. I had always heard that Eric and, and Hulk had that meeting. I had no idea you were sitting just outside the door oh, in your car. Really? You got to be kidding me. How do you think? <laughs> Please. How do you think you met Eric? How do you think you met Randy? I, I, we flew down to Tampa. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. Man, so, yes. so like you, so like at that time period though, when you're helping to collect talent, it feels like a little bit of that rebellious spirit like AEW has right now, where there were a couple guys where it's like it's not working out with us for with Vince right now. Let's try this other thing over here. Do you think that's a that's fair to say? 
Uh, I don't. I, mis- I misunderstood that. Say it again. Well, it sounds a bit like what's going on with AEW. I said because, like, you know, you had a couple guys that were working for Vince, and like, it didn't really work out at the time. And so, you, it sounds like you helped to bridge them over and bring them over to a new product. I mean, do you think it's fair to say there's a little bit of parallel with what we're seeing right now with the guys jumping ship for WWE to AEW? Well, I don't know. I, I, first of all. Uh, bringing Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan to WCW was a lot bigger because of who they were in the business and their track record. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Dean Ambrose, the character, um, and um, Seth and Roman were phenomenal as the Shield, right? But I think, and I'm not sure why they did that. I guess with time, everybody wants to go their own way. Um I don't know that Dean ever had the same opportunity. And certainly if he did, when he got hurt, that's when, that's when, you know, things can happen. I think Seth hurting his knee, you know, and sitting out a year, you, you lose it so hard to get that momentum. And then boom. I mean, I was, was there, I was there when Seth hurt his knee and I mean, he had to go home from Europe and man, that, that was an incredibly tough, time for him because he would just got the belt and boom. I mean, you know, time is everything. Roman is just about right there and bingo. He he, he has that that um, flare up with leukemia and um, I mean, I actually was in shock when he came out and said that on TV. I went, man, if this is, if this is not real, that they're, 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 they've gone over the boundaries. Yeah. Because I had never known and I I'm close to his father, and I know Roman. I think I have nothing but respect for all those kids. I love them all, but I—I I literally, I—I I, I looked at Wendy and I went, "Are you kidding me? Roman's got leukemia? I never knew it." Yeah. So, um, it, it just—you know—you—I you, you, mean, I've seen some stuff on. Of course, you—you you had to watch me have a heart attack on TV in Tampa, right? Yes. I can't help but talk about things that people thought were real. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, anyway, um, got him glad it all was cleared up. Yeah, I just thought anyway, timing it, timing is everything in the business, and him going back and losing that momentum, and Seth, um, um, you know, having the title now, um, you know, you know, what my hats off to is the talent. It has really survived everything and comes out every week and does a really good job as Baron Corbin. Okay. Tell me about it. No, I'm just saying I, I, I Baron has figured out a way, anything they, and that's what, that, that alone can put you and make you a lot of money for a long time. Take in on every, from being a GM to being the whipping boy to doing this and doing that because he can talk. And he can work. Yeah. And of, he doesn't mind. A lot of fans he, don't like Baron words, Corbin. A lot of fans don't like Baron Corbin. So I'm, I'm happy to hear you defending him here right now because he doesn't get a lot of love online right now. Why, why is that? For a reason. Well, a lot, I mean, the, the, yeah. the general reason I seem to see think from fans, they find him kind of boring or vanilla, um, I think, is the, is the issue there. So they, I don't know. People just don't like him from what I read. Well, I... It, who, who do they like? Who do, who do wrestling fans like? Great question. Well, they like you. 
Um, you know, they like Seth Rollins, you know, I think. Uh, yeah. R-Truth is somebody that's getting a lot of attention right now. Oh, I, I love R-Truth. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That, that, that's a whole different subject. I'm sorry. I, have, I, I wasn't even thinking in terms of R-Truth. R-Truth is fantastic. That whole thing is is, is genius. Um, yeah, I well, I just think that I think that Baron Corbin has been handed every ball that you can handle him, and he's pulled it off. I mean, there's a reason that he's still there, and I think it's because he you can beat him, and he'll come out and he acts like a heel. He talks like nothing ever happened. Um, I hate that they keep you know re, referring to the fact that. Um, how he retired Kurt Angle and all that. I didn't like that, but I, that's only because I love Kurt Angle and have so much respect for him. But, um, you know, whatever the, all Corbin's doing is what he's handed. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense to me. And he ends up, and he ends up there every week. So, um, I don't know whether I don't, I don't, I, I just, I, I, I he's one of many, but I, I, I do respect him. Because he he doesn't get hurt, thank God. He'll take any bump they want to give him. They give him every roll, and he's pulled it all off. You know, to the satisfaction of Vince McMahon, or he wouldn't be out there. Yeah, and that's the only person that really matters. Funny. Yeah, well, Vince's uh, opinion's all that counts, really, when you think about it. So, I think at the end of the day, it still does. So, like when you ask me about Eric, I think that Eric is going to be the guy that it, you know. He's going to have to, um, you know, talk to five other guys and work things out. But he's got work ethic and he loves this business. So Eric will, will, he will be as productive as anybody can be there. Okay. You know, yeah. they got to look, they got to line up all the talent, look at it and look where they are. And, you know, if, if they're, if that's what they're doing and then start from scratch or, Start take what they have and figure out how to go with it. Okay. But it's a strange time in the business, as I said, because it's the greatest opportunity in the world for kids from NXT or wherever kids are coming from for um, all in. It's just, it's a great opportunity for both. And I, uh, and I think it's great. And competition will make the WWE. Well, I mean, that, that really turns business wheels. You know, you want to compete against me? Come on. Um, yeah. But I, 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 mean, I, I'm very close to Tony. I think Tony will, will, will match up, and uh, you know, and will work as hard as he can to bring up the best product forward that he's got. And he's got some good people that have been, that have worked in really high places like Jim Ross, and Jericho, and. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Arn Anderson over, sounds but. like your buddy Arn, the enforcer, could be there pretty soon. It sounds like I don't know if he's there yet, but that seems to be the way. It, it's oh, well, going. great! Well, they're, they're one of the greatest finished guys in the business. Yeah. Uh, make no mistake. I mean, there's another guy who should be in the Hall of Fame. You know? Yeah. yeah don't even get me going on that. <laughs> um, no, really. I mean, but you talk about a guy for finishes for tag matches. Nobody better. Um, I got two questions left here. One question will be a, a kind of real question. The other question is going to be a silly question. But the other question I would ask you about no. was uh, your daughter, Ashley, Charlotte Flair, uh, multi-time WWE champion. It sounds like she has a new boyfriend in Andrade. Now, I talked to Rey Mysterio, I think it was about two weeks ago, and he said Andrade reminded him a lot 
of Eddie Guerrero, which I thought was a huge compliment. I didn't know what your impressions were of Andrade, what you think of him as, as a person and a performer in the rings. Oh, I think he's fantastic. He is um, the unique athlete that can he can be a heavyweight, but he can work with Rey Mysterio. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a phenomenal athlete. And I, um, not only that, he's a very nice person, number one. And um, a very classy guy. But, I mean, I I talked to Michael Hayes. I've talked to Hunter. They, they get how good he is. Good. Uh, and he's working hard at it. So, once again, there's uh, that, that's, that's a he's a phenomenal tool um, for Eric to have on the SmackDown crew. I think he's one of the, in terms of uh, in-ring work, one of the top, two or three or four guys in the company wow. because I, when I factor that, I take size into consideration. Yeah. There's nothing that, that, Ray, that Ray can do that Andrade can't do. And Andrade's 220 pounds. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's like as great as Seth Rollins is. His strength is so deceptive. I mean, I look at Seth through this stuff where he rolls through with these guys like Cena who weighs, 255 and i go jesus i mean seth rollins can really work yeah make no mistake i'm not talking about working i'm saying that that i don't know only the company can put you in those spots seth rollins is a phenomenal worker so is aj i mean roman they've got so much talent it's crazy it's just it's hard to sit back and you and i can do it and say this could happen that could happen but we don't know the inner workings of what's going on that day. Yeah. But I do know this for sure. It's a great time in the industry to be a young, young wrestler and uh, the door is open. And I think that um, wrestling is going to be a very hot topic over the next couple of years. agree with that. Um, my last question here is a silly one. Now uh, I read a couple of years ago, a quote from you where you said you start every day with a woo. You woo pretty often. Uh, I woo a lot in my life. I woo quite a bit in my life because of you. Uh, I was wondering if I could wrap up the interview with us, just kind of wooing back and forth uh, to, to wrap up the interview. Would that be okay? Can I, can I, can I do that with you? Of course. Okay. All right. You want to start or do you want me to start? Nick, I'm going to follow your lead, man. All right, here we go. Before we go, okay. Say it loud and clear. The queen is the greatest female professional wrestler of all time. We'll cut it right there. Should I give you? Should I give you a booking hint? <laughs> should I be? Should, yeah, go. Yeah, sure. We don't need to cut it. Yeah, give me a booking hint. Go ahead. Yeah. Put her and Stephanie McMahon together. Is that your Wrestle- what happened. Is that your WrestleMania 36? Is that where you'd like to see them going for next year? Uh, I, I, I would like to see Stephanie endorse her, and where you know where she said like you, I re- I've seen some badasses because I'm a badass. One of those interviews, or against her. Well, 
Uh, Rick, you're awesome. You, I got more out of this than I could have ever possibly imagined. You were too generous with your time. Uh, RickFlayershop.com. That is the place to go. Go get your bath curtains. Go get your mugs. Go get your shirts. Uh, Wendy's doing a great job. It sounds like doing put all this merchandise together. Is there anything else you want to plug, uh, promote, put over here before we wrap up the interview, Rick? You want to know who the three people I can find in in the business and trust? Who's that? Kevin Nash, Chris Jericho, and Steve Austin. If they say it's okay, they say okay, Nate. I'm with it. <laughs> That's it. Cool. I've, I've cut down a list of people who, whose approval I need. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good group. Strange bedfellows. I learned more from Kevin Nash in the last couple months <laughs> than I ever thought. Wow. But please make sure that people know that the black scorpion getting buried in the desert. <laughs> make sure they understand that I took Eric to Hulk. Let me see. <laughs> who else was I? Oh, put the mental institution. We know about that. Sure, sure. <laughs> classic. Classic. I, I'm just laughing. But I pulled it off, right? Yeah, well. So, <laughs> when you were cut- Hey, I'm not. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Certifiable. <laughs> ask, ask, ask Wendy. <laughs> I'm not going to Nick. <laughs> poor, uh. poor Wendy's got to contain me now that I feel bad. Now that I'm feeling better. <laughs> we're back to the nut house. <laughs> Wendy, thank you so much hey. for setting this up, by the way, since you're here. You're wonderful. Yeah. Nick, thank you. you take care. Hey, Nick. Yeah. You yes. want to hear a great Rick Flair story? I would love to. So I said to the doctor, can I take a Cialis? It's a true story. He said, yeah. And he, he said, but if your heart starts racing and doesn't slow down, go to <laughs> go to ER. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that's what he said to me. <laughs> yeah, take one, but it's your own risk. <laughs> that's where my life's at. <laughs> Rick, you're wonderful. Hey, and I'm just drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> you're you're great. You're wonderful, Rick. Thank you uh, again so much. Uh, thanks, man. No problem. Hey, you keep you keep the. I'll tell you what. I I read your articles periodically. Yeah. You're phenomenal, you and you, you do a great job. Thank you, Rick. I really um, appreciate that. And I, 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 I try to avoid a lot of these, but your stuff is good, and it's spot on, and I appreciate the respect. Thank you, Rick. I, I appreciate the respect from you. It means more than you know. I appreciate that. Thank you. No, I promise you. Hey, just keep on wooing, all right? Woo! <laughs> woo! Will do, Rick. Bye, Nick. Bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you very much, Michael, for joining me at the top of the show. And thank you so much to the Nature Boy. Woo! Rick Flair. Woo! There is really nothing just like sitting there just wooing back and forth, back and forth with Rick there. And uh, really caught me off guard with the nice things that he said about me personally at the end of that. So, Rick, thank you very much for the time. And thank you all very much for taking that in. Uh, if you enjoyed that interview, then come back tomorrow. We're going to have even more punditry. I'm going to be talking with Justin Labar, of course, with the news. And uh, we have a New Japan G1 Climax uh, Dallas special tomorrow where I'm going to have interviews with uh, Lance Archer, whose uh, partner Davey Boy Smith Jr., his Killer Elite Squad partner Davey Boy Smith Jr., just took off from New Japan Pro Wrestling. So Lance Archer here entering the G1, going to try to get back into the singles mix here in New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think you guys are going to absolutely love the talk that I had with him. Also on the show tomorrow, our own Scott Fishman. Uh, he is going to be chatting with Kevin Kelly. Now, I want to I say, too, Thursday we're going to have 
I'm going to release a weekly on Thursday. Um, I'm going to pre-tape the opening with Justin tomorrow, so it'll be real brief. But this Thursday, as part of Independence Day, I got the absolute best 4th of July guest I could possibly imagine. You guys are going to get 45 minutes with me and the Patriot Dell Wilkes this Thursday for the 4th of July. So I just want to put that out there now. I don't usually advertise that far in advance, but if you're going to be making your barbecue, you're going to be prepping for the day. This is an absolute fantastic interview to sit down and listen to while you're getting ready for the family and everything like that. You're going to love it. Uh, And, of course, if you like all of our audio content here, go over to Wrestling Inc. Audio over on iTunes. Give us a nice five-star rating, a nice comment. That stuff is always appreciated. This Friday, uh, I'll be back as well with Raj Geary, the owner of the site, for the latest episode of Winkly TV. If you want to catch that, it's the video version of the show. Um, It is available via the Ringside Wrestling app, 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. Every Friday, that's when it goes out. And then over the weekend, we upload it to our YouTube channel. Uh, And with that, Michael. What do you want to plug, promote, put over here to wrap up the show? Multiple things here, Nick. If, if you've not yet had a chance yet, please go check out all the Media Scrum interviews we did Saturday night right after the show. We talked about a few of those things here in the show, but a lot of things, I mean, we did an hour's uh, 50 minutes worth of interviews total there um, in the media scrum. So please check it out on the wrestling Inc YouTube channel. You can get those in their entirety. The one with Tody Khan, 30 minutes, man. And he opened up about so much. It's yeah. super interesting. Check that stuff out. Personally, um, as always, I encourage you guys, if you want to see cute pictures of my, my two cats, my dog, follow me on Instagram. I'm at the real I'm at wiseman.ma. Excuse me. But more importantly, had a piece go up last week. I'm really proud of this one. I talked about Bray Wyatt. He's been missing from TV. We've seen, obviously, the puppets in the background. Yeah. But I compared to what? I said, yeah. No, I was yeah. excited you're, I'm excited you're plugging this. Yeah. Yeah, man. I was super proud of this, though. I compared how generations of absurdist television from adult swim, especially and all the space ghosts and aqua teens of the world prepared a generation for what we got from the firefly Funhouse. So that is my pinned tweet on Twitter. I am at the real wise one. You can find it at the top there when on wrestling Inc. last week and this week I'm working on a piece uh, should be pretty cool. I'm comparing the experience of watching fighter fest, the AW fighter fest to stomping grounds, you know, both successful in their own rights, but very different takes on professional wrestling in 2019, so that should be a good one there, too. All right, and I'm at Wink Rebel over on Twitter. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and remember, if you winked, you didn't miss it. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.